Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We need to come into a church and expect supernatural things. You need to be able to come here expecting. You know, when you walk through these doors and you are desperate and you're saying, God, I have got to hear from you. You know what? You're going to hear from God because he speaks supernaturally. He will do that for you. That's what he does. We believe that. That's what a church is to be. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins this series with his teaching in Acts chapter 19 with a message titled, The Church, God's Base of Operation. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so here we go. We are kicking off our Ephesians study today. I'm excited. Ephesians is one of my favorite epistles, and I have wanted to do this for a long time, so I'm, I'm very excited about it. And I wanted to start the epistle by going back and taking a look at the foundation of the church as it is recorded here in Acts 19. So this is where it all began. It's, it's chronicled for us here. The letter, of course, would come later after the church had been established and Paul had moved on. So we'll move into looking at the actual letter in our next study. But in, in doing this, I want to focus on what the church was in that community in Ephesus and on what the church is intended by God to to be in every community today. And so as we look at Ephesus, what we're going to see is that things aren't really that much different today than they were back then. Now, of course, there are some ways where they're obviously different. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have the technology that we have and so forth. But we're going we're gonna to see that in, in many ways, culturally and certainly spiritually, there wasn't a whole lot of difference. So Ephesus, the capital and port city of the Roman province of Asia, located on the western coast of what we now call Turkey. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire with a population of close to 500,000 people. So a very significant city. The city was home to many idolatrous temples, the most famous Of them was the temple of Artemis. Artemis was also known as Diana. Now, Ephesus was a, it was a commercial center. It was a place where there was lots of trade. It was in sort of in the middle between the east and the west. And so there there was all kinds of commercial activity going on in the city. It was a city that was given over to idolatry. The, the temple to Artemis or to Diana was just the most magnificent of the temples, but there were multitudes of temples in the city. And it was also a city that was given over to sexual immorality. We know that from history. We know that from the contents of the letter that Paul wrote to them. He has to address many things that would fall under that category of sexual immorality But it was also a city that was steeped in the occult, a city that was steeped in the occult, witchcraft and Satanism. 
magic and those kinds of things. It was a center for those things. But here's what I want us to understand. It was into this environment that the apostle went with the gospel to establish a church. You see, as we think about that kind of an environment, and as we realize, you know, our culture is becoming more and more like that as time passes, you know, really, this is the ideal environment for the gospel. This is what the gospel went into originally. And so we need to understand that this is where the church needs to be. The church needs to be right in the center of this type of stuff because the church is really nothing less than a base of operation for God from which his kingdom can be advanced. That's the picture that we need to have of the church. That's how we need to understand the church. The church is not in to be this passive, just sort of staying out of the way, isolated group of people that just get together to, you know, just feel better every now and again. That, that's not the, the biblical picture of the church. The biblical picture is that the church is God's earthly base of operation for the advancement of his kingdom. That's what we see in this church in Ephesus. That's what we see as we look at the establishing of the church. And that's what we want to see in our churches today. So we're going to take and just look at this 19th chapter. And I'm going to point out some things to you. And in it, we really get a picture of what God intends the church to be. And so five things. Number one, the church is to be a place where believers can grow in their understanding of God's truth and experience his power. So look with me again at verses two through six. So Paul says to them when he comes to Ephesus, the small group, 12 men gathered there. The synagogue, you, you couldn't start a Jewish synagogue without 10 males. So they've got 12 Oftentimes, early churches were modeled after synagogues, so they've got a church. It's a small church. It's 12 people. So Paul comes, comes to them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying the people, to the people that they should believe on him whom would come after him on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So you see what happens? And here we have a picture. What is the church to be? It's a place where believers can grow in their understanding of God's truth and experience his power. So Paul comes, he finds these people, they're believers, but they don't know much. And you know, that's the reality with many believers. There are many people who have put their faith in Jesus but they don't know much. And of course, in the beginning, we don't know much. But we're needing to grow. We're needing to be instructed. And that's what a church is to be, a place where people are instructed. And thank God we've got this wonderful legacy, this, this fantastic history of biblical instruction from this pulpit here. That's right. That's what it is to be. And there are lots of people out there. You know, it's amazing. And it's, it's tragic in some ways. The, the biblical ignorance among 
many Christians. Many Christians just don't know. They don't know their Bibles. They don't really, like, like this group, they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. They didn't even know there was such an experience as the empowering of the Spirit. So the church, part of the reason the church exists, part of the reason why God plants churches and communities is so that believers can grow in their understanding of God's truth. But notice, it wasn't simply instructing them. Paul did that. He taught them what they needed to know to advance in their knowledge. But then it says he prayed for them and they experienced the power of the Spirit. And you see, a church should be a place where people can come and be instructed and at the same time experience the power of God. And it should be the case that when you walk through these doors, you sense the presence of God, that you experience the power of God, that you, sometimes you're just sitting there, you're listening, and suddenly you, you, God is touching you. He might be healing you. He might be speaking powerfully to you. Something like that might happen. That should happen. That's what God desires in a church. That's what happened in this first Christian assembly in Ephesus. But secondly, I want you to notice this, that the church in Ephesus and the church today should be a place where skeptics, unbelievers, and seekers can hear a reasonable presentation of the faith. Look with me at verses 8 through 10. Speaking of Paul, and he went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months. Listen to this word, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples. Listen, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia, the province of Asia, Everybody who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That is amazing that the gospel went out, a a reasonable presentation of the gospel. You know, a church should be a place where the skeptic can come. You have atheistic friends, agnostic friends, skeptical friends, bring them to church. We'll talk to them. We'll share with them. But you see, the message itself has to be a reasoned message. People should come and be able to be challenged intellectually and have to think through things. You know what the, the general perception of Christians by the outside culture is that when we come to church, there's a little place before you get into the church where you put your brain, you set your brain there in a box and you don't collect it again until after the church service is over. That's a, that's a perception that people have of Christians in the culture. It's absolutely wrong. It's not true, is it? But, you know, there, there must be some reason why people think that way. And sometimes it is because uh, we as Christians, we're not thinking hard enough. We're not doing our homework. We're not using the brain. See, God created our brains too. And we want to engage people on that kind of a level. And what we're talking about here, where in the first point, we're talking about the church being a place of teaching and a place of experiencing God in worship. Now we're talking that the church is also to be a place from which apologetics take place. Apologetics is the defense of the faith. And we need to defend the faith. And we need to be from the pulpit. We need to be giving you 
good information that you can assimilate and you can use to defend the faith as you're out in a hostile environment. I thank God again that we have a history of that here and we wanna continue with that history. We wanna build on that history. Now, why am I emphasizing this? You know, believe it or not, there are some people that would say, well, you know, that's a waste of time. You shouldn't, you, you know, you don't need to do that. Well, Paul seemed to think that we did need to do it. That's what he did. He reasoned with people. He reasoned from the scriptures. He reasoned from history. He reasoned with the philosophers and he showed them what was the truth. And so that's what a church should be. Thirdly, the church is to be a place where miracles are witnessed. Now, here's what happens quite often in the church, bigger picture church. Here's what happens quite often. You get these two extremes. You get the one side that says, no, no, no. It's all about the intellect. It's all about apologetics. It's all about you know, reasoned arguments and, and all of that. I, I just obviously said I'm into that, but not to the extreme. And some people are just completely over in that side saying, this is all we need. But then you get the other extreme over there going, oh, no, no, we don't need any of that. All we need is the miracles. All we need is the power. All we need is an experience with God. Listen, we need both. We need it all. We need everything. We need, yes, a strong apologetic in our culture today. But you know what? We need miracles. We need God to be doing supernatural things. And the church should be a place where you come in with the expectation of supernatural experiences. Because after all, we're dealing with God. And that's a supernatural thing there. So we should expect that. And this is what we see here. Look at uh, verses 11 and 12. It says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. So notice what's happening. He's instructing the young believers. They're experiencing the power of God. He's reasoning with the skeptics. But also there's this, there's this additional thing. God is doing miracles through Paul. Unusual miracles, it says, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Listen, there's a spiritual realm and there's the the spiritual realm in which God is operating and there's that spiritual realm in which the forces of darkness are operating and those things are in conflict. If we think we can fight the devil merely with our brains, we're in for a big disappointment. We need the power of God. We need the miraculous power of God. We need to see those kinds of things. And listen, God is still doing miracles today. Don't ever let anybody tell you that God doesn't do miracles. He still does. One of the greatest miracles you'll ever see is a a converted soul. That's a massive miracle. But God still does miracles today. He does miracles of healing. He does miracles of provision. We need to come into a church and expect supernatural things. You need to be able to come here expecting. You know, when you walk through these doors and you are desperate and you're saying, God, I have got to hear from you. You know what? You're going to hear from God because he speaks supernaturally. He will do that for you. That's what he does. We believe that. That's what a church is to be. It's a place where miracles are witnessed. Fourthly, the church is to be a place where the devil is seen to be defeated. 
The devil is defeated, but it doesn't look like it when you look around the world, does it? You know? I mean, seriously, don't you think sometimes it's like, wait, Lord, are you sure you're winning this battle? I mean, it, you know, it's kind of looking a bit bleak here. But when you look around at the world, that's what you see. Seems like the devil, he just got it all wrapped up. He's got the government in his hand. He's got the, the uh, educational system in his hand. He's got all these things. He's got it all under control. It's all his philosophy. It's all his ideas. It's all, you know, humanistic and anti-God. It's like, wow, Lord, are there, are there any places where we can see you having a victory? Absolutely. And it's in the church that we're to see that. Look at what we see here in the starting of this church in Ephesus. Look with me at uh, verses 13 through 20. Well, the end of verse 12 says, remember that the evil spirits went out of people through the ministry of Paul. It says then in verse 13, though, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Listen, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The devil was seen to be defeated in Ephesus and in the church today, this is the place where the devil is seen to be defeated. That his power is broken over the lives of people. That's where we see how the devil has been defeated, isn't it? So often we see it in the life of a person. It's so awesome. We see so often in testimonies, that's where we see that the devil has been defeated. His rule over this person's life has been broken. Jesus has set them free. And that's what we are to be seen in the church. And then, fifthly, the church is to be a place where people are turned away from idols to worship and serve the true and the living God. Look at verses 23 through 27. About that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. You know what? We live in a culture of idolaters. Idol worship is still alive and well in the United States of America. Idol worship is alive and well all around the world. If a person's not worshiping the living God, the true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, then they're an idolater in some fashion or another. But here's what happens. 
The church is to be a place where people go from being the worshipers of idols to being the servants of the true and the living God. And what we're talking about here is transformation. The church is a place where we see people's lives transformed. And that is such an amazing thing. It's such a wonderful thing. We're seeing lives transformed. We're seeing people come out of drug abuse. We're seeing people come out of the occult. We're seeing people come out of uh, sexually perverted lifestyles. We're seeing people come out of all kinds of darkness. And that's what a church is to be. Listen, the church is to be a place where saints come to be refreshed and built up, but it's also to be a place where sinners can come and be saved, to be challenged. And our doors have to be open to all kinds of people, right? You know, the danger that happens in a church, and it happens so often, is we, we get into this little thing like, well, this is just our club, and oh, the world's so bad out there, and we just, you know, we want to huddle together, a holy little huddle, and just stay away from all the corruption out there. That's not the picture. Of course, the church is a place to come and be refreshed. Yes, it is that, but it's not just that. The church, as I said, the church is God setting up a base of operation in the midst of enemy territory. And the base of operation, that's a military idea that we're talking about. We're in a war. We're in a battle for souls. And it's not about my comfort. It's not about my ease. It's not about, well, you know, that's not the point. We've got to get over that. And so those doors have to swing wide open. And we have got to welcome all of the people from the culture and let them be challenged. Yes, bring in the new believers and let them be built up in the faith and experience God. But bring in the skeptics. Let them come. Let those unbelievers come. Yes, the atheists and the agnostics. Let the seekers come and let them hear. Let those who are desperate for, I need something. I, I'm, I'm a materialist, but, but it's not fulfilling my life. Let them come and experience something beyond the material, the supernatural. You see, that's what we're to do. And that's our hope. And that's what we're doing. And may God bless us to that end. And I'm excited, as I said, about teaching this epistle to the Ephesians. There's so much in here. Oh, it's just, it's such a beautiful picture for us of the Christian life. And as you can see on the image that we've had, the wealth, the walk, the warfare of the Christian, those are the things that are centered on in the epistle. Those are the things that we'll be looking at in the days ahead. Now, let's join Pastor Brian as he shares about this month's resource from Back to Basics. Hi, I want to tell you about a book that I think is going to be revolutionary for many, many men and, and perhaps for some women too. Most of you know that we have a massive pornography problem in the United States. It's not limited to the United States. It's a worldwide problem. And my friend Ray Ortland has written a book that I think is going to help so many people in dealing with the subject of pornography. The book is called The Death of Porn. 
And the subtitle is Men of Integrity Building a World of Nobility. I had the privilege of reading the book before it was published, and I was able to write a little recommendation in it. And it is the best book I've ever read on the topic because it comes at it from the angle of our identity in Christ and who we are. And because of who we are, we don't need these kinds of things that we often gravitate toward and end up in bondage to. So my recommendation for this month is The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity, Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortlund. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Death of Porn, Men of Integrity, Building a World of Nobility by Ray Ortland. You can order the book The Death of Porn by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Death of Porn by Ray Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.